It is my privilege to read from God's Word for us this morning, and I want to make just one small change. Your bulletin notes, we're going to be reading from Luke 19, but we're going to be reading verses 1 through 10 this morning, not 10 through 17, as we continue our series on hospitality in the Gospel of Luke. It's a familiar story this morning, not one that I'm familiar with, um, because I'm not that short, but uh, Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. And so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began mutter, muttering, who, he who has gone, sorry, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. This is God's Word. Good morning. I'd like to uh, add my Mother's Day greetings as well this morning to uh, all the various kinds of moms out in the, in the, in the room here today. We've got moms and stepmoms and grandmas and great-grandmas and foster moms and adoptive moms and ladies who have not yet born children themselves and yet who very much are pouring themselves into the next generation. We honor you today. We're thankful to God for you. And uh, we want to uh, celebrate Mother's Day by diving deep into the gospel of the Lord Jesus. That's what moms need most. That's what dads need most. And, uh, and so we are going to talk about this uh, passage of Scripture. It's a well-known story. We've got the Sunday school song about the wee little man who climbed up into a sycamore tree and invited Jesus over for tea. And, uh, and so we want to we see uh, the hospitality of Jesus, the embrace, the welcome that Jesus gives to uh, this tax collector. Now, um, if you've grown up in, in church, if you're church folk, then you know that tax collectors were hated. It was, you know, it's not just that you had a job working for the CRA, right, the Canada Revenue Agency. Even though today, if you work for the CRA, you probably don't drop that at parties too often. Uh, you're not the most popular uh, person around. Um, but here, here we have a leader, the chief of tax collectors, who was supporting uh, the oppressing, uh, ruling, dominant Roman Empire that was sucking out all of the wealth, any capital, any any time that that uh, that, that society or that the the Jewish people were about to create some wealth, the Romans would just suck it out in order to fund their vast army that was doing the oppressing, and so the tax collectors were the uh, were the ones who had made friends with Rome. And, the ones who were oppressing them, and maybe the ones who've killed your brother and sister, your mom or your dad. And so tax collectors were an, uh, uh, hated people, though they were the wealthiest 
folks in town. And so Zacchaeus, as a chief tax collector, as a leader among the tax collectors, is, is likely one of the wealthiest people in the province, one of the wealthiest people in the nation, and yet he's hated, he's excluded in society, but he finds salvation. That was, that's what this passage actually is all about, is salvation, right? Jesus says, salvation has come to this man's house because I've come to seek and to save that's what, that which was lost. So the question today is, how does salvation flow through our lives? How does salvation flow through your life? It's what Jesus has come to do. And so three thoughts this morning on that. Uh, the first thing you need to do is you need to climb a tree. Climb a tree. I'm serious. So uh, we know that he's a wee little man. He's short. So he can't, he can't see the parade that Jesus is a part of. Now, uh, if people have, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, I go to one parade a year. It's the Niagara Lake Christmas Parade, Santa Claus Parade. And I'm thinking if a short person, if one of my kids says, hey, Dad, can I stand in front of you so that I can see? It's like, ah, no skin off my back, right? I can, still, I can still see just fine. And yet Zacchaeus is not able to, as the short guy, is still not able to get in front, even though it would be no skin off the back of, of those who are at the front of the line, because he's so hated. Because he's so excluded. They're like, yeah, get behind me, kid. Good luck seeing. So he climbs a tree to see Jesus. He leaves his... Di- now think about this. In, a, in, a, in the society in which they are, this is a, a formal culture where you know, uh, men of dignity didn't, weren't, wouldn't even be seen to be in a rush. You would never hurry around. You're always careful about how you carry yourself. To be, you know, a person of dignity. To climb a tree. Like a child. Right? To climb a tree. He's leaving his pride behind. Leaving behind his, his place of, in, in the society as a rich person. Now think about, think about how, how men dressed back then. Don't think about it too long. Sorry I brought it up. But the robes, right? Like, think of a Scottish dude in his quilt, in his kilt, climbing the tree with his hairy leg, right? And you get what I'm, you picking up what I'm laying down there? He's leaving his dignity behind. He's leaving his pride behind. He climbs the tree, not, not thinking about how am I looking in the eyes of other people. He does something childish, facing ridicule in order to see Jesus. Like Zacchaeus, in, in any time, in any place, to consider Jesus is to risk looking foolish in the eyes of others. To, to, to consider Jesus is to risk looking foolish in the eyes of other people. In our culture, you know, um, when you grow up, you can't believe in the supernatural anymore, right? Miracles can't happen. You can't be an enlightened, respected adult in our culture if you believe in the supernatural. To think that God the Son broke into history, died on a cross, and rose again, and is going to return is to face certainly intellectual ridicule. Jesus took a child once, right? We know this story. 
He says, unless you become like a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you humble yourself like a little child. Childlike wonder. And as I've mentioned before, I've read, uh, this winter I've read uh, an in-depth biography of C.S. Lewis, the, the author of the Narnia, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. And, uh, and uh, he, he makes a comment that, you know, when, I, when he was a, a, a child and a, and a teenager even, he, he loved to read fairy tales and, and the great myths of the past. And, and yet as you grow and as you come into academia, you, you, that's looked down on, that you would consider fairy tales or other worlds where people can fly and where enchanted kinds of things happen. But he makes a comment, he's like, now that I'm in my 50s, I read them publicly. I used to try to hide it. But when I became a man, I left childish things behind, including the fear of looking childish. You see, what, what's more childish than actually being afraid of looking immature or being afraid of lo- seeming small? And, and as, as you, you, may, you may have heard, of, Lewis says, you know, the story of Jesus is the true myth. It's the story that's underneath all the other stories. These, these fairy tales, the, these, uh, these myths of, of enchanted wonder and uh, of other worlds. He says, actually, underneath that is the, is, the true, is the true myth that's Jesus. It's a myth, but it's true. It has actually happened. You know, to consider Jesus today is to risk looking silly. So you need to climb a, climb a tree. Secondly, you need to ignore the crowd. You need to get up and over, up and over the crowd. You see, the one thing that keeps us from uh, embracing Jesus is pride. But the other thing that keeps us from embracing Jesus uh, in our culture is moralistic, self-righteous, religious folk. Church folk, if you will. Right? Many of us have struggled with that and, and, and sometimes still do. And, and maybe you have, you have folks in your lives, friends in your lives, who, are, who you know, in some ways would say, I, I, almost, I almost wish it were true, but man, Christians are hypocrites. They're self-righteous. They're judgmental. They're moralistic. They're no fun. They rarely crack a smile. They, you know, they, they say one thing, and yet they do another. You know, these televangelists who are asking for money and flying on private jets, these guys denouncing the sexual ethics of the day, and we find out later they're having affairs. Christians are hypocrites. I want nothing to do with it. I want nothing to do with people who use the word sinner in an oppressive, abrasive, abusive way, who look down on others who don't share their, the, the beliefs that, that they do, who do. They look down on those who don't have their act together like they do. The reasoning it goes something like this, I think. If Christianity were true, it wouldn't produce these kinds of people. But since Christianity produces this kind of people, Christianity can't be true. Right? I think that's the, the underlying logic of, of, that, of that position. If Christianity were true, it couldn't produce this kind of people, but it is producing people like this. And so therefore, Christianity can't be true. And let's just face the facts. If we are going to make a decision about Jesus based on how people who've claimed the name of Christian have acted both now and over history, we probably want nothing to do with them. 
and to hit, make it hit a little more close to home, if people were to examine the claims of Christ on my life, they're going to find inconsistencies. They're going to find ugliness in me. They're going to find reasons not to believe in Jesus if they just look at me. And so we need to do as Zacchaeus did. He found a way to look at Jesus apart from the crowd. Apart from the religious folk who wanted to exclude him. Apart from the religious folk who were, who were self-righteous and judgmental and moralistic. Zacchaeus got above the crowd and looked directly at Jesus. He got a direct sight line. He didn't try to see Jesus through the crowd. He got a direct sight line. Which is, by the way, one of the very first core value of Cornerstone Community Church is our message is Jesus. But what we want to sh- put in front of people is that Jesus is awesome, not that we're awesome. That Jesus is awesome. Consider him. Yeah, we're messed up. We're needy. We still don't have it all together. But Jesus, he does. Our message is Jesus. And so we want to get past hypocrisy. We want to get past inconsistency of so many people in the church now and in history and see Jesus for who he really is. And to do that, we go to the text. To do that, we go to the text. We go to the eyewitnesses, eyewitness accounts of how Jesus lived, of what he taught, of how he loved, of what infuriated him. And if you do, you'll find almost on every page of the scripture that's describing the way that Jesus lived and taught is that he was so gentle and open to those who were looked down upon. To the prostitutes and sinners, to the tax collectors, to the poor, he just welcomed. And he was gentle. He said to the religious leaders, he's like, the pimps and prostitutes are going into the kingdom before you. The only time Jesus is yelling and denouncing and hard line is at the Bible teachers, at the religious folk, at the church folk. In the Sermon on the Mount, he's continually saying, you know, you heard it said, your Bible teachers have said do this and this and this, but I'm teaching you this. I say to you this. Woe to you, Chorazin and Bethsaida. It'll be better for you, better on judgment day for Sodom and Gomorrah than for you. Woe to you, little towns with nice white picket fences, with people who've got it all together. It's going to be better on the judgment day for the red light districts. Which ought to arrest those of us living in nice little Niagara in the 21st century. That's a hard word. From Jesus. Woe to you, religious towns, Bethsaida, Chorazin. Sodom and Gomorrah have it better than you. We know what Sodom and Gomorrah were all about. So Jesus says, I've come to seek and to save lost people. Those who know they're lost. Outsiders are going to be quicker to say, I'm lost. You see, to consider Jesus, all you need is need. To come to Jesus, all you need is a need. All you need is nothing. All you need is nothing. But rich, church folk, 
find it, find it really hard to empty our hands and to say, I've got nothing, I've got nothing to offer. We keep saying, look, Lord, look what I've done for you. Look how good I'm following you. Look how much I'm giving. You came to seek and to save the lost. I do want to point out the irony of looking down on people who look down on other people. Of being self-righteous about self-righteous people. About being upset with people who are inconsistent. As if any of us always live up to what we say we believe. It's fairly inconsistent to be mad at people who are inconsistent, right? It's rather, rather self-righteous to be self-righteous about self-righteous people. We need to get up. We need to get on the tree. We need to... We need to leave our dignity and pride behind. And we need to ignore the crowd and look directly at Christ. Look directly at Jesus, who he is. And when we do, we find that he wants to come over. He wants to come over to our house. And so third thought this morning is that we need to bring him home. For the salvation of Jesus to flow into our lives, we need to bring him home. He says to Zacchaeus, I'm coming over for a meal. I'm staying over. I'm going to stay a while, actually. It's important to note that Zacchaeus didn't invite Jesus into his heart. Zacchaeus didn't invite Jesus into his home, even. Jesus invited himself over. And we see the change that happened in Zacchaeus' life, but I want us to understand the order of the gospel. We need to understand the order of the gospel. It's not that Zacchaeus said, hey, I'm going to stop cheating people, and I'm going to start being generous. And then Jesus says, hey, I think I'll come over to your house. You've, you've made some positive life changes. No, no, no. Jesus says, I'm going to come over. And then Zacchaeus says, oh, okay, I'll, I guess I'll stop cheating people. You see, the scriptures teach it's the kindness of God that leads to our repentance. It's the kindness of God that leads to our repentance. It's not our repentance. It's not our change in behavior. It's not our change in lifestyle, our change of mind that leads God to be kind. If you reverse that order, you lose the good news. You lose good news. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It's not our repentance that leads God to be kind. It's not, you know, because I change, now you love me. His love is not based on your change. Your change is based on his love. His love, his acceptance, his friendship, which is what, in saying, hey, I want to have a meal with you. I want to have the evening meal. I want to have a long, lingering conversation means is I want I want to have friendship with you I want to be your friend Zacchaeus I want to enter into a close friendship and relationship with you that's what changes Zacchaeus that's what changes him and don't you love where he says look Lord look look what I'm doing 
Isn't this great? It's like, look, Dad, look what I can do. He's being creative. Jesus says, truly, salvation has come to this house. Again, salvation didn't come to the house of Zacchaeus because Zacchaeus started being generous with his money. Salvation came to his house because Jesus came to his house. And Jesus is our salvation. Salvation came because Jesus came. So we need to bring him home. But we do need to, so we do need to understand that order, that Jesus is, is the initiator and it's his love that leads us to change. But the second part of this I wanna, I, we, we need to grapple with is that when we do understand the gospel, it will change our lives. That if, if you um, think that you've had an experience of the grace of God and, and relationship with Jesus, but it really has no effect on the way in which you live, all you're doing is proving that you've never really grappled with. You've never really received Jesus. When he really does come into your life, real, tangible changes take place. Real changes take place. Un- un- unavoidably. He's going to arrange the- rearrange the furniture. If he's moving in, he's rearranging things. You know, the crowd is aghast that Jesus is offering friendship and intimacy, relationship. But he says, no, I'm coming in. I am I'm going to enter into the very daily rhythms of your life, Zacchaeus. I'm coming over. I'm staying over. I'm not just going to meet you once a week. I want to come into every nook and cranny of your life. And as he does, Zacchaeus, I love how just creative he is. And how responsive he is to Jesus' friendship. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give away half my money. I'm going to, you know, I cheated a bunch of people. I'm going to give 400% back. He's being creative. He's responding to grace. You know, in the, in the scriptures, in the Old Testament scriptures, uh, you know, they, the uh, Jewish people were required to give 10%. He's like, eh, I'll get 50%. That's what the grace of God does. You don't go by just the bare minimum rule. How much do I have to give? It's like, oh, I've been set free. I've been shown this love. And if you cheated people in the scriptures, number five says you should give the amount back plus 20%. He says, I'm going to do 400%. That's what grace does. Grace overflows. Grace says, how much can I do? Not just what's required. He's creatively bringing the relationship of Jesus into every nook and cranny of his life. You know, for, for rich folk, which is most of us, giving away 10% really isn't a sacrifice. We're really not limiting our lives in all that much. We give away 10%. We can still do all the trips we want. We can still probably... Buy the clothes we want, buy the name brands, or buy the... For most of us, 10% is really no skin off our back. The story of Zacchaeus says, give till it hurts. Give till it actually, you're giving away power. You're giving away your ability to do things. But the point is here is if grace, if the gospel doesn't change your attitude towards money, you have not really grasped 
the gospel. If you're still thinking, oh, 10%, really? Do I have to give 10%? It's just an indic- indicative that uh, your desires haven't changed. He hasn't touched every nook and cranny yet. So has he touched every nook and cranny of your life? Is he touching every nook? Of course not. <laughs> he hasn't touched every, every nook and cranny of any of our hearts. Right? Don't be ridiculous. Of course he hasn't touched yet everything yet. You're, he's not done with you yet. He's not done with me yet. His grace is going to explore new hallways in our hearts. And we're going to have the opportunity to respond creatively to the grace of God. That he would become friends with someone like me. Like someone like me. You see, that's what changed Zacchaeus, is this amazement. Oh, me? You're coming over to my house? Of all the people's houses you could have gone over to, you're coming to my house? Do you have that amazement that Jesus would want to be your friend? Is that, does it thrill you? Does it shock you even? Someone as half-hearted as me? Someone as two-hearted as me? Someone as duplicitous as me? Someone who's selfish as me? Someone as greedy as me? Someone as proud as me? You would want to be my friend? Until that drops, until that penny drops in your heart, grace of God won't change you. It starts with that amazement. Wow, even me. And for church folk, many of us are church folk. Like we've gone to church a long time and often. That's hard for us to, it's hard for us to grasp. It's hard to come with empty hands, isn't it? Truly. And say like, I'm on the same plane as Zacchaeus. This Benedict Arnold, this traitor, this slimy thief of a man. I'm on the same level as him. I'm on the same level as those ladies working Queenston Street. I have as much to offer to God as the pimps and prostitutes of our day. Until we have that amazement. The gospel won't, we won't bring them home. It won't change us. Oh. But when we see that Jesus wants to be my friend, that brings new joy. That brings new amazement, new love. That, that rearranges the furniture of my heart. And it makes changes. Not because I have to, because I get to. Because I get to walk in this creative friendship with the Lord Jesus. And so would you pray with me? So Father in heaven, we're thankful for this amazing story of your grace that invites even people like us, even broken people who are ashamed of our past or self-righteous, moralistic people who tend to boast in our past that you welcome all of us and that you 
want to come in and you want to come over. You want to have dinner with us. You want to be friends with us so that we can know a love that surpasses anything that this world has to offer. So, Father, for those struggling with, with pride, those who are wondering, what, what will everyone else think if I really go all in for Jesus? For those of us struggling with church folk and the hypocrisy of Christians, open our eyes to see Jesus this morning. And open our eyes to see ourselves, to see that we're actually hypocrites ourselves. That we're self-righteous ourselves. So that, Lord, all of us, every single person in this room, Lord, would come to you today and receive your friendship. Receive grace at your hand. So change us. Change our attitudes towards our money, like Zacchaeus. We pray, Lord, for a pouring out of incredible generosity towards the poor. And, Lord, I pray for a creativity in our friendship with you. That our hearts would respond not with, well, what does the law say? What do we have to do? What are the rules? But that we would creatively respond and say, oh, Jesus, you love me like this? Then what? Then what? So speak to us, Father, by your Holy Spirit. Lead us in your ways. Lead us in a creative friendship with you, I ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.